Hey everyone, I'm Jim Ambusky and this is Conversations at the Washington Library. In 1784, King Charles III of Spain sent George Washington a token of his esteem. Knowing that Washington had long sought a Spanish donkey for his Mount Vernon estate, the king permitted a jack to be exported to the new United States. Washington named the donkey Royal Gift in recognition of its royal origin, and the donkey became somewhat of a minor celebrity when he disembarked from his ship in 1785. Now you might ask, what's all the hee-haw about? But as it turns out, Spanish jacks like Royal Gift were highly prized animals in the Atlantic world. And in this case, the Spanish, who had supported the United States during the American Revolution, saw an opportunity to use the donkey as a way to shore up diplomatic relations with the New Republic and protect their interests in North America. On today's show, Professor Jose Emilio Janes joins me to discuss his new book, El Regalo de Carlos Tercero a George Washington, El Periplo de Royal Gift. Janes is a veterinarian and associate professor at the University of Salamanca in Spain. As the title of his work suggests, it is a Spanish-language book, one that makes use of manuscripts in Spanish archives to flesh out Royal Gift's story. We spoke last fall with the help of his friend and collaborator, Alan Wynn Jr., who it so happens is a native of Alexandria, Virginia, and who has lived in Spain for many years and runs Allen's School of English in Zamora. If Spanish happens to be your mother tongue, or if you are like me and you are desperately trying to get better at it, please check out the Spanish-language version of this episode, which will appear in your podcast feed. Before we get started, we ask you to do us a quick favor. If you like the show, please drop us a review through your favorite podcast app. We really appreciate it. And be sure to check out our new website for the show, which we think will make it easier for you to find your favorite episodes. You can now find us at www.georgewashingtonpodcast.com. Now get ready to hold your horses and let's offer George Washington a royal gift with Jose Emilio Janis. All righty. Well, welcome to the both of you to the program. I'm very excited to have you here. And I'm excited, as I uh, just mentioned to you a moment ago, that this is our first bilingual podcast. And we're very excited to highlight uh, your book, Jose, and to talk about Royal Gift. And we've got several questions you want to get to, but just wanted to say welcome and uh, hope you're doing well in Spain. And thank you to Alan, who will be translating for us today, because my Spanish is not great. I haven't practiced since college. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to to having Alan's help in this quest. It's my pleasure to give you all the help you need. Thank you very much. Well, I thought we'd start by by talking about the big picture of your book. In the United States, I suspect that when people think about Royal Gift or when people come to Mount Vernon and hear about Royal Gift, if they've heard about him at all, they see his story as much more of a curiosity than something that reveals a great deal about the relationship between Spain and the United States, about animal husbandry, or George Washington's business pursuits. And I'd like to talk about some of these larger themes, but I thought it would be helpful for the audience to have a foundation. So uh, for those listeners who have not heard of Royal Gift before, Jose, would you give us a brief overview of his story? What are the key things that they ought to know? A royal gift is the name that George Washington gave to the Spanish Jack, which was given to him as a gift by the king, Charles III of Spain, in November 1784, uh, but it didn't actually arrive until one year later. Había hecho varios intentos de compra, 
So Washington at that time already made several attempts to buy one from Spain uh, because of the great reputation that the Jacks had in, in Spain. Um, the idea was to breed them uh, with good mares and in this way um, obtain the best mules for his plantation in Mount Vernon. At that time in the United States, there were very few mules and the ones that did exist were of poor stature due to the poor quality and the lack of, of jacks that there were at that time. So on his third attempt, uh, George Washington requested the help of a, a company from Alexandria, Virginia, which did business with Spain. And um, this company asked for the help of the head of the Chamber of Commerce in, in Spain, the, the US Chamber of Commerce in Spain, in Madrid, um, to get permission from the king in order to export one uh, from Spain to the United States because this was not allowed at the time. The, the Secretary of State of Spain notified Charles III and decided to give them as a gift uh, two donkeys to George Washington. Yes, así que compraron. So finally, in 1785, uh, two donkeys were bought in the province of Zamora, and they were guided to the port of Bilbao in the north of Spain. They were set on two different ships uh, to be sent to the United States. Uh, the first one, the first one didn't make it. The first one passed away uh, shortly after setting sail. And the second one uh, did uh, and arrived in uh, Gloucester, Massachusetts with the same stable lad that had taken him from Zamora to Bilbao. George Washington was very impatient. And when the, he finally heard that the donkey had arrived, he sent uh, the supervisor of Mount Vernon to go and, and get royal gift and the stable lad uh, in Boston, where they were waiting for him. They went through many cities walking down on the whole East Coast and finally arrived at the plantation on the 5th of December. So he was, he was given the name Royal Gift in the, uh, when he arrived at the plantation. He was used for breeding during five seasons. And after those five seasons, he was sent to South Carolina uh, to continue breeding in that area of the U.S. Uh, but unfortunately, he, after several complications, uh, he suffered an illness, uh, it got complicated, and he finally, he finally died there in 1796. So the, the two most important things to, to keep in mind are, uh, first of all, uh, the place the, and the, the era of history and the circumstances under which the gift was given. And the second is, of course, the gigantic popularity of George Washington at the time. Well, that's really, really helpful. Thank you so much for giving us that framework. And I think that's going to be useful as we move forward. When did, when did you first begin researching Royal Gift? And, and what inspired you to write this book? What did you believe was missing from the story? So the, the beginnings uh, were very long ago when he, he was studying to be a veterinarian. And he read two lines, only two lines in a book that said that Charles III had given George Washington a donkey as a gift. History has, has definitely 
pushed him to into this project. And finally, at the end of the 90s, uh, in one of his first books, he wrote a little bit about the gift because he and he learned that there was a lot of information in the National Historic Archive of Spain, and he wrote a few articles later about that. So then, uh, in, in the year 2000, uh, he gave a gift to a great ethnologist here in Spain, uh, who has since passed away, unfortunately, um, about um, the races of animals here in Spain. And he, in turn, gave Jose a gift of uh, a copy of part of the documentation that, is, that existed in the National Historic Archive regarding royal gift. He, he considers that um, a book is a journey and a voyage that takes us to another world. And it's necessary to know what we have been in the past in order to understand what we are now. There are several things that were missing from the story. Uh, one, of, one of the things he noticed was that in the United States, not very much had been written about royal gift. And a lot of the things that had been written about him were either as an anecdote or a curiosity, uh, weren't taken very seriously. Uh, they also lacked a lot of data. Uh, a lot of times the, the real truth of the story was distorted. Uh, and it was almost always the same version, which was not the right one. So uh, it was also necessary to clear up the reasons behind the gift, uh, the circumstances, and to reveal who was really behind the gift, because it probably wasn't Charles III himself, but uh, his secretary of state at the time. Uh, so he felt it was necessary to clear, clear that up. Another thing that he wanted to do was to give um, a different perspective or a different vision of George Washington as a plantation owner and as the first president of the United States. He, he wanted to concentrate on his day-to-day -day activities uh, during his presidency, for example, and trying to uh, maintain and, and control Mount Vernon from New York or from Philadelphia, um, also to establish um, his worries about his prized donkey, royal gift, um, and also to um, the, the advertisements in the press offering the services of his, his donkey, um, also to talk about his constant visits back, going back and forth to, to Mount Vernon um, and other various situations that, that came up during his research uh, to take it from a, a different perspective. And finally, also to, to establish the personal relationships that he had with other celebrities of the time, and most importantly, to establish what the true history of the, the donkey was. The book was written principally for the American public, as George Washington is, is of course, the, the main character of the book. Uh, and by the way, his editor in Spain here, Doce Calles, continues to look for a publishing house in the U.S. who might be interested in making a, a version of the book in English, uh, because it's a shame that this story um, can't be told to the American public, considering that it's in, in Spanish and only a, a small portion of the population would really understand the book, uh, unless uh, we could find somebody who would want to do uh, an English version uh, of the book. Además, para Jim... 
<laughs> he said this comment was for you, for you, Jim. He said uh, part of this book was written in California because his his son lives in in California, and when he began writing the book, he thought to dedicate the book to his his granddaughter. Uh, but as the project has gone on for some time now, well, he he had three when the book was published, <laughs> so he dedicated the book to all three of the his granddaughters. And between printing and publishing and everything else, a fourth granddaughter has has come along now in California. Uh, so he's he's now writing another book because since he dedicated the book to the first three, he didn't want to slight the the youngest granddaughter. So he's he's working on another project now. But that's a, that's a very good excuse to write another book. And I and I will say I just want to thank you actually, Jose, uh, while I have you on the podcast, you did send me a copy of of your book, and I've been slowly making my way through it. My ability to speak Spanish is not great, but I do retain at least a functional reading level, so I have enjoyed working through it very carefully. So I do hope that you're able to find an English translator because I think it would enjoy a wider audience here in the United States. He hopes so. He hopes so. Well, one of the things you've already hinted at is that Spanish jacks like Royal Gift were very highly valued. What made them so special? What what was it about Royal Gift's breeds uh, that made men like George Washington hold them in such high esteem? What made them so special? So, first of all, the origin of the animal was uh, the, the animals were from Zamora and, and were not from uh, Andalusia, with Andalusia, which is where a lot of people think the, the donkey had come from. And secondly, the, the breed of this, this particular breed of donkey was able to produce very good mules if it was bred with, with mares. And it, you could also breed, of course, the, the jacks with donkeys. And by breeding this particular jack with donkeys, even if they were of a different breed, you would obtain uh, other donkeys that with very good characteristics for um, pulling things, for carriages and things like that, and, and for working in, in the fields in the country. It was um, a race that was particularly adapted to, to the hard farm work of the time. So one of the things that uh, tipped uh, Jose off to the fact that this donkey was in fact um, from Zamora were the physical characteristics of, of, of royal gift. Um, they're very corpulent, um, they're tall, uh, the head is very voluminous, the ears are usually very big and wide, uh, the jaws are very strong, the, um, the chest is wide, and, and particularly the, the color of the donkey, usually the, the color of its, of its coat is uh, chestnut or black. Uh, sometimes it has even red highlights or blonde. Also sort of a, a silvery, a characteristic silvery white nose that also appears on, on the chest of the animal. Uh, so it's really isn't, it's difficult to confuse this particular animal with, with other animals, but probably the, the most important characteristics of, of these donkeys were, were they're very large, they're very tall, uh, and, and so it's easier to breed with, with mares. Uh, and also the ringlets, they have kind of these cute uh, ringlets, except, on, except for on the head, uh, but they have very long hair. So it's, uh, 
it's it's very difficult to confuse this donkey with other types of donkey. Oh, you mentioned that they were very highly prized for their agricultural work, and I'm also wondering if they if the breed also holds a particular place in Spanish popular culture. The easy default for the American is to think of Don Quixote and the animals that appear in that novel, and so I'm wondering if Spanish jacks like Royal Gift, like his breed, are a popular feature in other forms of culture. Uh, perhaps we can't think of anything uh, in, in popular culture that might be representative of of the of the donkey itself. But uh, it is true that there are many breeds of donkeys here in Spain. Um, in the past, there were donkeys all over Spain, and there are a very numerous quantity of donkeys. And usually uh, the donkey was uh, not very highly considered, particularly compared with horses. And the, the donkey was considered the horse of, of poor people. So when you think of Don Quixote and you think of uh, Sancho Panza riding a, a donkey, probably comes comes from that. Uh, but definitely you can see from this that uh, this is the reason why when the gift was chosen, it was very carefully chosen Why? what part of Spain they were going to choose the donkey from because if they sent just any donkey that it might be considered an insult whereas sending two of the best biggest strongest donkeys in in the nation then it probably wasn't considered as an insult <laughs> well, that makes sense and it actually picks up on a question that i was uh, wanting to ask you because one of the fascinating things I learned from your work is that Spanish jacks like Royal Gift could not leave Spain unless King Charles III gave his consent. Why Why did their export require royal authorization? This actually, this uh, prohibition of, of exporting livestock actually began in the 14th century. So it was uh, a law that had been in place for a long time. At the at the end of the 14th century, it was uh, uh, prohibited to export livestock. Donkeys were included, uh, maybe 50 years later, and basically it was a protectionist measure in order to uh, protect the Spanish agricultural economy. Um, and if anyone, usually this applied to uh, cities that that were on the frontiers, but of course it applied to the the whole country as the country as a whole. And if anyone, um, any infractors, uh, the punishment for for exporting livestock uh, was that they were stripped of all of their assets and and money and everything. So it was a very harsh penalty uh, for for this crime. Así que el rey era el único que podía dar so, as it was, um, of course, prohibited to to export livestock, live animals from Spain, then it was necessary to receive the consent of the king in order to in order to uh, remove any live animals from from Spain. So for this reason, uh, the consul in Spain of the I'm sorry, the representative of the company, the the company from Alexandria in Spain, um, made all of all of the made the deal asking for help from Mr. Carmichael, who was the ambassador in Madrid at that time. Uh, and he wouldn't even have considered trying to remove the animals from Spain or export the animals from Spain, uh, given the risk 
and the conflict which might cause, particularly for for George Washington himself, for for being interested in in some in like an illegal product. No, so. <laughs> Well, that, that makes complete sense. Uh, and then thinking about the larger relationship between Spain and the United States in this period, Spain, of course, did provide crucial assistance to the U.S. during the American Revolution. And so I'm wondering how we might think about Royal Gift's story in the context of Spanish-American relations after the United States gains its independence. Should we see Charles III, and actually you mentioned his Secretary of State, should we see see their their giving of this donkey to Washington as a, a form of diplomacy uh, to cement relations between the U.S. and Spain in this period. Definitely, definitely this uh, gift should be considered uh, as a diplomatic gift. There, there's definitely something behind it. It's, it's not a mere anecdote. It's not, uh, it's, it's something to be taken much more seriously than and what's been written about it so far. So there are, there are two major factors to be taken into account. The first being, of course, uh, George Washington's popularity among the public. And the second one is what uh, Jose calls the great opportunity. So in, in the first place was talking about George Washington's popularity. He was, of course, a figurehead of the time. You know, after the, the victory in the, in the revolution against the Brits, uh, he, he was and will always be considered the eternal general. And after, even, even after uh, renouncing this position uh, in November of 1783, and he was also um, a great landowner. And he belonged to the political elite and economic elite of the time. Uh, and so he had he was very well connected and he had a lot of influence on, on American society. Okay, so the other thing is the great opportunity. Uh, of course, a great opportunity for Spain. And taking into account that Spain had uh, started war with the Brits during during the Revolutionary War. Uh, officially, they started in June of 1779, but uh, they were, of course, helping the rebels or the, the colonists during, during the Revolutionary War uh, and didn't want anybody to find out about this because, of course, they, they were a monarchic state as well, and so uh, this might be frowned upon. Uh, of course, they, they did help during the revolution. And then uh, only one year before, before the gift was actually conceded to, to George Washington, they had signed a treaty, the Treaty of Paris, and um, a separate, um, they made a separate deal with, with Great Britain too. So um, it was an, a good opportunity for Spain to make friends. So at, at that time, we have to take into account that a large portion of North America was actually part of the Spanish Empire, including New Spain or California up to Oregon, what was uh, Louisiana, Louisiana, Western Louisiana. Louisiana was uh, the Mississippi Valley and, and this area, not just the state that we know of today. Uh, so if you take into account that um, a great portion, in fact, two thirds of 
North America was considered part of the Spanish Empire, this was probably an interesting opportunity for Spain to, to make some friends again. Um, another thing to mention is that the, the year of the gift, 1784, was there were two crucial points that uh, were needed to be addressed. One was uh, defining the frontiers of the north of Florida, which continued to be part of Spain. Uh, and another thing was the Mississippi, about sailing on the Mississippi. And three months before the gift was actually given, uh, Spain had closed the Mississippi River to traffic, to sailing. So uh, these were some things that they had to, to work out with, with the new colonies in the United States. <laughs> of course, General Washington was seen by the court of Spain as, as the figurehead of the, the new country that was getting organized with the, in, during the Confederation period, uh, the 13 states. When Royal Gift arrived in the United States in 1785, what kind of reception did he receive? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they arrived in, in Boston, Massachusetts on the 26th of September, 1785, after an, a journey across the ocean, which lasted 49 days. So immediately, this news hit the press and, and it was all over the place. Um, there, there were pictures of a gigantic donkey that nobody in the U.S. had ever seen such a large donkey before, uh, and and the the news was that it was in fact a gift from from the king of of Spain. Uh, so it was published basically during three weeks in twenty eight different newspapers, which is um, over fifty percent of the newspapers of the time. Uh, in 20 cities, which is uh, about two-thirds of the major cities of the time, and uh, in nine of 13 states, and people heard about royal gifts through the press. He was a celebrity. Wherever he went, he was received by crowds of people. He spent a month in, in Boston, uh, and in Boston, they, they made a, a caricature of him which appeared in an almanac of 1786. Uh, and you can still see that today. Uh, and wherever he went, it was it was sensational. The, from New York to Philadelphia to, to Mount Vernon, it was it was quite a spectacle. And when he when he did finally arrive at Mount Vernon, a lot of people went to see him. They they expressly made a trip to Mount Vernon, out to Mount Vernon to, to see this this fantastic donkey. I would imagine that few animals have enjoyed such a reception in the United States since. Yeah, you, you can't think of any animal in the world that was received by the by the press in any in any historical period with with uh, such great fanfare like <laughs> Neither can maybe, I. Maybe Barnum and Bailey Circus. But... <laughs> <laughs> that, that might come the closest, I would imagine. <laughs> well, as, as people were coming to Mount Vernon to see this donkey, uh, and uh, what did George Washington have in mind 
for him as a plantation owner and someone who was in the agricultural business? What did he want to do with this prized and now famous donkey? Bueno, uh, para no explicar el tema de lo que es una mula, so George Washington's intentions with, with this donkey were, was basically to renew and revolutionize the agricultural practices of the time. Uh, he knew that mules were were strong and also were more efficient than than horses, for example, because it, they didn't require as much food. So it would actually be more efficient to be using big, strong mules instead of big, strong horses to do the farm work of, of the time. Uh, not only was he thinking about this for himself, but uh, he thought about it for the nation as a whole, that this would be um, uh, a great boon to the agricultural industry of, of his country. So George Washington actually had a lot more information than, than many people of the time. He knew that uh, in order to obtain mules that were big and strong, he would need uh, a donkey first. And to, to breed the donkey, a male donkey, with uh, mares and not the other way around, because that's the best way to get the best type of, of mules. And he also had a lot more information about types of donkeys, too. And he knew that the best donkeys were in Spain. And that's why he started actually looking to Spain in order to get uh, the best donkey possible, in order to create the best mules possible. He wasn't, he wasn't interested in just any, any old mule. He wanted the best uh, for himself and for his country. And so that, that's why he looked to Spain. Of course, additionally, he would obtain an economic benefit from having this donkey on, on his property uh, because he did, he did offer the services of, of his donkey for breeding purposes to other plantation owners, uh, but not altruistically. They would have to pay uh, in order for his donkey to, to cover the, the mares that were sent to him from other, other plantations nearby. So, of course, he did, he did obtain an economic benefit from it. We know that Royal Gift eventually dies in 1796 following injuries he sustained while on a journey to South Carolina. So what what do you consider to be Royal Gift's legacy? First of all, uh, probably the most important uh, thing that changed in the United States was uh, the practice of the work done by the equine races in, in the country, instead of only using horses or, or donkeys, mules were, were used much more than they had been. And uh, it improved the, econ the economies, the agricultural economies of people of the time. Another legacy is uh, the transport of genes from one side of the Atlantic to the other side of the Atlantic. And, and this um, can be seen in the descendants that that uh, continued to live live on after Royal Gift died. And so finally, uh, it's also uh, George Washington provided a model for other people, particularly in terms of advertising their their livestock. In fact, uh, years after Royal Gift died, farmers continued to to publish advertisements in papers saying that they're the jacks that they had on on their plantations that were for uh, for breeding purposes were were family of of royal gifts. They're descendants of 
of royal gift. So his, his legacy lived on for quite some time. And finally, he says that uh, Royal Gift, of course, was the most famous donkey on either side of the Atlantic, both in the United States and in Spain. And his name uh, lives on. Even today, uh, we can see that the donkey continues to be uh, a very important animal. Uh, if you look at the Democratic Party, uh, of course, their, their symbol is a donkey. And in fact, it's, it has a lot to do with uh, this royal gift. I never put those two together before, but now I will. And so, especially as we are approaching the presidential election here in the United States, um, every time I see the donkey on the Democratic flag, I will think of royal gift. Well, I have, uh, I have two last questions for you, and uh, they're both kind of fun questions. And, and the first is, what did you find that surprised you uh, over the course of this project? Uh, it sounds like you are using sources that sounds like no historian had actually ever used before. And so did you find something in the archives that particularly struck you as you were researching this project? Uh, so first of all, uh, one of the surprising things that Jose ran into was uh, that there was not only one attempt to obtain donkeys from Spain, but in fact four. And the first one was uh, in the middle of the Revolutionary War. Another thing he found really interesting during his research was that there were two other people who were very, very interested in obtaining donkeys from Spain. One of them was John Jay, and the other, of course, was Thomas Jefferson. Another interesting aspect is that Lafayette, of course, a good friend of George Washington, um, he tried to lessen the importance of, of the gift from, from Spain, as if it weren't that important at all. George Washington, uh, invitó a cenar, so when, when the donkey arrived, the donkey arrived with the same stable lad that had gone from Zamora to Bilbao, and then Bilbao to Gloucester, and then from Gloucester to, to Mount Vernon. And so the Spanish stable lad, when he arrived, they, they had a big dinner all together and they, they ate oysters, which used to be very common uh, in, in the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, and um, during that dinner, they, they had the same problem that we have now, that uh, there was a language barrier. And it was the stable lad, whose name was Pedro Tellet, he had some very important information for George Washington about how to go about breeding mules using this particular type of animal. Um, and unfortunately, due to the language barrier, they weren't able to, to communicate. And the first season uh, wasn't, wasn't that great. We worked it out, but, it, but the first season was, was not the best breeding season. Yeah, so during, during George Washington's first term, he bought uh, 30 mares from Pennsylvania uh, to breed with his, his prize donkey. So 15% of the time that George Washington was president, he spent at the plantation uh, at Mount Vernon. George Washington had uh, Jacks and Jennies, or female donkeys, for 14 years. 
So in, in South Carolina, when when the plant the great plantation owners found out that Royal Gift was was coming to their to their area, they they bought a boatload full of female donkeys of of Jennies. In España, also uh, when whenever uh, something important was to be was to be sent from from Spain, uh, they always sent it. Um, they sent two instead of sending one. They sent two just in case uh, a boat sank or a boat was attacked by pirates or something like this. Um, it was always done in this way in, in order to ensure that at least one arrived to to its destination. Finalmente, aquí he descubierto another another very interesting thing is that uh, he he has been able to trace back generation after generation to find the the owner the owner of royal gift when royal gift was in spain and was not called royal gift and uh has found their their lineage uh today and and they were ecstatic when they when they learned that uh, a family member of theirs had actually been the owner of of this gift to to the first president of the united states Wow, that's fascinating. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, as a, as a final question, and speaking of bridging the gap between the language barrier, uh, I did want to ask Jose and Alan how the two of you met. And Alan actually gave me a little preview of this in an email the other day. Uh, but it, it sounds like it's a fun story. And so I was uh, hoping you could tell the folks at home how you both met and then something about uh, the role that Alan played in the book project. Very, very well. Very, very well. <laughs> so our first contact was actually the day of my wedding uh, because um, I asked um, a mutual friend of ours if uh, he could come to the, the National Parador of Tourism, which is where we, we got married. Uh, and if they could come and, and play bagpipes uh, before the, the ceremony and, and everything. And Jose signed on with a few others and, and they showed up with their bagpipes dressed up in traditional Tamorano dress. And uh, then I appeared dressed in the same way uh, and under the window of my future wife, I declared my everlasting love to her she had no idea that this was going to happen so she was she was um practically she was wearing a towel because she was getting dressed and getting ready for everything <laughs> so she came out to the balcony and i i expressed my everlasting love to to her with uh, traditional tamorano music uh, folk music with the with the bagpipes bagpipes are very very popular in, in this area uh, so that's that's how that was our our first uh encounter so afterwards seven years passed and and we didn't know we didn't hear anything of of each other uh and then when he started on the this project in in 2014 in the middle of his project he needed a little bit of help and uh he heard about Allen's school of english here in, in zamora a very successful english school and he said, "Ah, oh, well, maybe I can get in touch with that crazy guy that uh, was 
declaring his everlasting love to his wife. I wonder if he could help me out with uh, some things with my book. So um, through our mutual friend again, we, we met up and uh, we had a couple of beers together and he explained his project to me and thinking to himself that uh, I was probably thinking that he was half crazy and that this, but fortunately when I told him that I was actually from Alexandria and I had studied uh, American studies at, at university, then it all started to come together really. And so he says I was a, a great help uh, in, in getting the book together. Obviously, he, he did an immense amount of work with a lot of um, original documents. So when, when he was looking at um, original documents from the United States from the 18th century, and it was, uh, you know, you couldn't just put that in Google and have Google translate it for you because, you know, it didn't come out very well. So I helped him out a lot with uh, with the original documents and interpreting the what what exactly they were saying or if there might be a, sort of a second way of reading things. Um, and we worked we worked together a lot on that, and I gave him a few ideas too about a, a couple of things that came up, um, and just just using my my background of of the history of the United States and where I'm from. Um, in fact, just about climate, for example, uh, you know, things like in South Carolina, um, how rough the summers are and the humidity and everything. And these, those little things really helped out a lot in, in, in making uh, the final product. But I think, the, I think the most important thing, I think Jose agrees with me, is is uh, the friendship that we established working on this together. We're, we're both very passionate about, about history. We really in, enjoyed what we were doing. We had a great time um, and, and we did establish a very, very close relationship. We both consider ourselves um, very fortunate to, to have worked on this project together. Well, it certainly seems like a great partnership and friendship and it's produced a, a lovely book. I wanna thank you both, muchas gracias for joining us today. And uh, you know, when, uh, when you're back stateside or back in the United States, uh, either to visit your grandson, Jose, or, or to visit your, your family, Alan, please do stop by Mount Vernon, and I'd love to get a beer with you both and talk some more. Por supuesto que sí, Jim. Por supuesto. Claro que of sí. course. Of course. Yeah, it would be our pleasure. Very good. Well, take care, and we'll see you uh, hopefully soon. Hey, thank you so much, Jim. Muchas gracias. Thanks for joining us today on Conversations, a production of the Center for Digital History at the Washington Library. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Jim Ambusky, with editorial assistance from Jeanette Patrick and support from Mount Vernon's media department. Be sure to subscribe to Conversations on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever you enjoy your favorite programs. Have a question for the podcast team? Send it to us at conversationspodcast at mountvernon.org, and we might feature it on the show. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so by going to mountvernon.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.